In the same weekend that some all-time great Notre Dame players were selected in this year's NFL draft, the Notre Dame coaching staff was able to secure several key commitments as they try to reload for the future. I'll break down my thoughts from the draft and what it all means for the future coming up next. You are Locked On Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Irish. It is Wednesday, May 3rd, and thank you for making this your first listen of the day. Whether you're watching along on YouTube or listening on your favorite podcast platform, please take a moment to subscribe if you haven't already. I'm the host, Tyler Wojak, and like most of you listening, I've been a huge Notre Dame fan for my entire life. I graduated from the university back in 2018, and I've been covering college football for one of the two major sports networks ever since, first for ESPN and now at the Fox Sports headquarters in Los Angeles. And in today's episode, we're going to talk some NFL draft. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to post an episode earlier this week right after the draft had ended because I was in Detroit for my cousin's wedding but I'm back home now and I've got plenty of thoughts about how Notre Dame fared in this year's draft and how much NFL talent the Irish currently have on their roster plus Notre Dame has been scorching hot on the recruiting trail lately in both football and basketball as the football team picked up their fourth commitment in a span of five days all in the class of 2024 and the men's hoops team picked up a huge commitment on Tuesday from Kerry Booth a top 100 power forward prospect in the class of 2023. I'll get to all that in segment three, but let's start with the draft because that was the big news coming out of this weekend. And Michael Mayer falling out of the first round was one of the biggest surprises, not just for Notre Dame fans, but really the entire NFL draft world. Daniel Jeremiah, who works for NFL Network, he's probably one of the top NFL draft analysts out there. He said as much when he appeared on the Pat McAfee show earlier this week when he called Mayer the cleanest player in the draft, and he explained how surprised he was that Mayer had fallen out of it. So that was encouraging to hear as an Notre Dame fan because I tried to look at, at this objectively and try to figure out how he would have fallen, and he did get selected number 35 overall, so it wasn't like he was drafted that late. We're talking about you know, a 10-pick difference because I think in the latest mocks going into the draft, he was looking at probably a late first-round pick anyway. But he ended up being the third tight end overall, and that was really the big surprise there because Dalton Kikade, it seemed like he was going to be the top tight end taken off the board here. That ended up being the case. He was taken 25th overall by the Buffalo Bills. But then Sam Laporta out of Iowa, the high-powered offense that has been the Iowa Hawkeyes uh, over the past year and really since Brian Ferenc has been there, um, he managed to get selected one spot before Mayer going 34th overall to the Detroit Lions. And, I mean, just the disrespect. Like, I, I'll give you Kincaid. Because I don't look at Kincaid as like a true tight end. He's basically like a big slot receiver. I think the Bills try to they try to get uh, Kincaid, and they think that he's going to be their version of Travis Kelsey. And even though Travis Kelsey, I mean, he might go down as one of the greatest tight ends ever. I don't think of him as the same type of tight end as Michael Mayer. Michael Mayer is more of like an inline tight end who can block. He can certainly play in the spot, play in the slot. Hell, I mean, Notre Dame was splitting him out wide and they're running tunnel screens to him. So he can play anywhere on the field, but he's a little bit different than Kincaid. He's not as much of a deep threat, but he's still... Like I've said many times in this podcast, I think he's got the highest floor of any prospect in this year's NFL draft. Now, if we were to consider, uh, you know, reasons why Mayer might have fallen, I think one thing here is that he's not at a position that's super highly valued by NFL teams. And Jamie Uyama from Irish Sports Daily, he's a friend of the program. He's been on the show. He did a deep dive on this. uh, So I encourage you to read that. And he basically explained that, look, like, 
yes, it's a surprise that Mayer fell, but the position he plays tight end, like that's not a position that's going to completely change a football team. And that's really not what teams are looking for in the first round. They're looking for quarterbacks, defensive ends, offensive tackles, positions that are most instrumental to a team's success, especially when you have a really great player at like the highest caliber, like the highest caliber tight end is probably not going to have the same impact as the highest caliber defensive end. I think we all get that. We all understand how modern football works. Another thing that had to, or another thing to take into account here as relates to Mayer is that this was a pretty loaded uh, tight end class. So I think some teams looked at it as like, okay, if we get someone else at the top in the first round, we can always go and try to get another tight end who's not as good as Michael Mayer, but maybe they think the drop-off isn't as big in the later rounds, like the third or the fourth, because like I was saying, there's just a lot of good tight ends in this class. Now, I still think Mayer was the best of all of them, and I think that the gap between Mayer and the rest of the pack is still pretty substantial. Clearly, NFL teams didn't see it that way. Another thing, too, is this doesn't go for just Mayer. This goes for really any player in the NFL draft. The amount that that player gets scrutinized by the time they play their last college snap and the time they actually get drafted. It's nuts. And this is all these scouts are doing for day after day, week after week for several months leading up to the draft. And even several months before that, honestly, during the middle of their careers, when they really start to make their uh, appearance on these draft boards across the NFL, these scouts, they really dig into every little detail in their lives. Like, I would say to a fault, I think that when you overthink anything, you sometimes talk yourself out of making the obvious decision here, which might have been the case with Mayer. But that's just what happens. You see guys in these like way too early draft mocks, go revisit it a year later and see how accurate it is. Usually there's like the main guys like Will Anderson, Bryce Young, they, they were at the top of all of the way too early stuff last year. But then there's a guy like Eli Ricks, for example, who I think he was a top 10 on some of the mocks I saw. And then he was still available after like pick 250. So you kind of see what happens. Sometimes some guys, they, they improve their stock because of this. And a lot of times the, uh, their draft stock falls. So even when I tried to remove my fandom out of the equation here when it came to Mayer, I, it was still crazy to me. Um, but, oh, well, I don't want to say that it doesn't matter that he fell out of the first round because it definitely does for him because Michael Mayer certainly lost some money by falling out of the first round as a result, but he's still in a great position to have an outstanding career in the NFL. He has big shoes to fill, replacing Darren Waller for the Las Vegas Raiders, but at least he knows that he'll get the ball a lot because Josh McDaniels, the Raiders head coach, he loves throwing it to the tight end. Now, Waller was hurt for a lot of last season, but he was still one of their best and uh, top priority receiving targets when he was healthy. So I think that Mayer is going to be fed the ball early and often with the Raiders. And I think if he's able to stay healthy, which is a big if for not just Mayer, but literally NFL, every single NFL player ever, if Mayer stays healthy, and so far he's proven to be very durable, at least at the college level, he only missed one game in three seasons at Notre Dame, then I think he, I think he can have a really long career and make several Pro Bowls. Um, another big surprise in the draft also included Notre Dame, but this one was much more positive because the New Orleans Saints selected defensive end Isaiah Foskey, number 40 overall, and that definitely took me by surprise. I thought he was going to go in like the third round based on the stuff that I had been seeing and reading about Isaiah Foskey. It seemed like NFL teams had started to sour on Foskey a little bit because of his per perceived lack of production against the highest quality opponents on Notre Dame's schedule. And look, I'll be honest. I was a bit critical of Foskey sometimes last season, especially early on in the year for not stepping up and being the completely dominant player we expected him to be, especially once he decided to return for a senior season. Like, um, I think I, I, at the time I thought he could go first round, high first round, because he was at a position of great need at defensive end, which teams love to get in the draft. 
And he still ended up having a really solid season. He became the first player in Notre Dame history to put up back-to-back double-digit sack seasons. And he has a really bright future ahead of him. Um, it was just something that came up during like the Ohio State game, for example. Notre Dame really needed Foskey to step up and be a dominant player. And he just wasn't that game. And that was probably too much. Uh, it was too much of a dig on him to sort of let that carry because then he ended up having a really solid season. And now he becomes the highest offensive end drafted out of Notre Dame since 1997. So Foskey, he plays a great position of need, as I mentioned, and he has plenty of upside. I think um, I think it was the Saints GM or maybe it was just another front office executive who said that uh, they believe that Isaiah Foskey has his best football ahead of him. And if that's the case, then I think he'll have an outstanding NFL career. So one thing, one quick thing, I know that Notre Dame fans think that everyone is out to get them. And this isn't just a Notre Dame fan thing. I think this is, we as college football fans, we're all, we all think we're like the most slighted people ever. This could be another big show topic for another later date, maybe in the summer when there's not as much going on. But we always think that everyone out there is against our team, which I get. And look, I get pissed off too when a national media person says that something about Notre Dame where it's clear they don't understand the school. But I think the idea that Notre Dame players are just prone to falling in the NFL draft because of some perceived bias, I don't think that's true. And look at Isaiah Foskey as a prime example. He went way higher than everyone else thought he'd go. Hell, the Saints also drafted Ian Book in the fourth round. That was a reach at the time. And I love Ian Book, but I don't think he was... Uh, any other team would have selected him in the fourth round. So maybe there's some teams who have bias against Notre Dame, but I don't think that's an overarching thing. Um, but the third player and the final player to get drafted out of Notre Dame was Jarrett Patterson, who was selected by the Houston Texans in the sixth round. Patterson was the third offensive lineman sele- selected by the Texans, so they clearly are prioritizing getting enough guys in the offensive line to protect now their most prized asset in C.J. Stroud, who they drafted second overall. And I think some Notre Dame fans might be surprised at how low he was taken Uh, considering how productive he was at Notre Dame throughout his career. But unfortunately for him, he's just dealt with a lot of injuries throughout his career. He suffered a season-ending injury during the second half of 2020. He tore his pec during off-season workouts before last season, and then he hurt his foot in fall camp. And that injury was so severe, it forced him to miss the Ohio State game, which we all saw. But one thing we didn't really see is that Jared Patterson, that injury to his foot was so severe that he had to walk around in a boot to get Uh, to get around campus and to get to the facility. So he was still dealing with that throughout the rest of the season, despite the fact that he played in every game after after that. And he's clearly very tough. He's very driven. He's a great leader. He's a captain at Notre Dame. He's got the NFL size and technique that teams want. But when you're evaluating these players and you go through their medicals, I think that there were some red flags with Patterson, but certainly not enough that he didn't get drafted because there's still plenty of linemen who get taken later in the or later in the NFL draft who end up having really promising NFL careers. And he could just be the offensive version of Kurt Heinisch because uh, Heinisch went undrafted last year, but the Texans picked him up as an undrafted free agent, and then he carved out or he carved out a really nice role for himself last season. I think that Jared Patterson, he has all the tools necessary to succeed in the NFL so long as he stays healthy, and unfortunately, that's been a big if throughout his college career. As for the undrafted free agents this year, safety Brandon Joseph signed an undrafted free agent deal with the Detroit Lions. Uh, kicker Blake Groupie did so with the Saints, and then defensive tackle Jason Adamiola he signed with the Jacksonville Jaguars as an undrafted free agent. And then uh, his twin brother, Justin Adamiola, he received a rookie minicamp invite from the Green Bay Packers. And then Josh Lugg received a rookie minicamp invite as well with the Chicago Bears. I think really the big surprises out of this group, um, I was surprised that Justin Adamiola only got a minicamp invite. That's not super promising for his NFL career. And it makes you wonder why he didn't come back uh, this season because he could have returned to Notre Dame for a sixth season. He would have been a starter at Notre Dame, and he definitely would have been one of their best pass rushers, at least right now. Certainly the most proven on the roster at this point in time. 
But I understand that he didn't really want to play without his twin there. I get that. They both wanted to start their NFL careers at the same time. And, hey, he still could have an NFL future. Um, it just didn't get off to the start that he probably would have hoped for. And then the same goes for Brandon Joseph. I don't think it's a huge shock, huge shock that he wasn't drafted, especially after his combine performance. Um, but I don't think him going undrafted was much of a surprise to people who have been following you know, his process ever since – Really, he came to Notre Dame, let's be honest here. He came in with a lot of high expectations. And then, unfortunately, you know, he did suffer that ankle injury, but his career at Notre Dame didn't really pan out as good as we had hoped and probably him as well. And I think that he really would have benefited from one more year at Notre Dame. But, hey, he wanted to go to the NFL, um, and I respect that, and I wish him the best. Okay, coming up next, does Notre Dame have more NFL talent on its roster going into 2023? Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now new customers can get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. If I were to make a futures bet right now to win the NBA Finals, I'm taking the Denver Nuggets, man. They look like the clear best team in the NBA. And, and while most other teams have sort of struggled and messed around so far in the NBA playoffs, the Denver Nuggets have not. They're 2-0 on the Suns right now, and they look poised to uh, win an NBA Finals this year. And there are plenty of other great things about FanDuel, but personally, my favorite is the instant payout. It's so much better than a lot of the other apps and services out there. So there's no better place to bet on all the playoff action than America's number one sportsbook. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 that's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Thanks again for making Lockdown Irish your first listen of the day. And hey, if you want to be on the show, you can by sending in mailbag questions for Friday's episode on Twitter at Lockdown Irish or on Instagram at Lockdown Irish Pod. Get your questions in, folks. I love them every week. All right, back to the draft. We've already gone over the three guys who were selected in this year's draft out of Notre Dame. And let's be honest with ourselves. If Notre Dame is going to seriously contend for national championships, they're going to need to send more than three guys to the draft on a year-to-year basis. We all know that. Uh, I'm not really breaking any news here, but it's worth repeating. And not surprisingly, the top five teams in college football last year were the five colleges with the most players drafted. Alabama and Georgia each had 10 players selected. Michigan had nine. TCU had eight. And Ohio State surprisingly only had six, which is a pretty, no lo- a pretty low number for the Buckeyes. But that's where Notre Dame needs to get to. They need to double their output from this year uh, if they want to get to where they want to go. And a lot of this goes back to recruiting. So 13 players who were selected in the first round were five-star recruits, including eight of the first 11 picks. And then there were eight four-stars selected in the first round as well. This is especially true on defense. The Athletic, for example, they did a great deep dive on this idea way back in the fall, and they found that recruiting evaluations for defensive players, particularly five-star prospects, they usually turned out a lot better than they did on offense. If you look in the NFL... There's plenty of really good players, and some of them like the best of the best who weren't big-time recruits coming out of high school. Patrick Mahomes and Devontae Adams, for example, Travis Kelsey, there's a lot. Now, on defense, a lot of the best players were big-time recruits coming out of high school. And if you're looking at it on the defensive side of the ball, Georgia is the standard, and that standard is pretty damn high. Every single player from their starting defense in 2021 has been drafted over the past two cycles. That's insane, and I'm not saying that Notre Dame needs to reach that level because I don't know how many programs in the country can reach that level. Just That takes an unprecedented amount of recruiting effort and talent. Like There's just so many things that have to break your way. So I'm not saying that Notre Dame needs to get to, uh, what was the number that Georgia had, 25 players total drafted over the past two cycles. 
I don't think Notre Dame is going to get to that point. I think that might not be sustainable, but they need to at least get close to that. The good news for Notre Dame is that they have recruited at a much higher level since Marcus Freeman joined the staff, first as defensive coordinator before the 2021 season, and especially since he became the head coach. So Notre Dame had a blue chip ratio of 83% in their class of 2023. So 83% of the class was four or five star recruits. That's really good. Of those four or five star recruits, those guys are a lot more likely to be drafted in the NFL, especially at the higher rounds than the three stars. Like that's we get that now. There's plenty of evidence out there to support that. So this will likely lead to a lot more NFL draft picks, but those guys aren't going to come out until like 2025, 2026, because Marcus Freeman's first recruiting class as the defensive coordinator was 2022. And the earliest those guys will be eligible for the NFL draft is in 2025. And those guys are just on defense. And his first, first class as head coach, that was this past class, the 2023, because I don't include the 2022 class, even though he was the head coach at the, at the time on signing day. And even though uh, that recruiting class was really solid, I'm counting Marcus Freeman's first full class as the head coach. Those guys won't be eligible uh, at the earliest until the 2026 NFL draft. And that would be after their junior season. So it might be even later when we see a lot of these guys go through their entire time in Notre Dame, develop into NFL draft prospects. And Freeman knew this when he got to Notre Dame. When he was asked about the loss to Cincinnati back in 2021, he said pretty candidly that they that Cincinnati simply had more NFL dudes than Notre Dame. That was true at the time, but that should never, ever be the case. Like Cincinnati should never have more NFL draft prospects, even in their best year, than Notre Dame. And Freeman said as much, which is great. I appreciate uh, him being frank about it. And I remember going into that season when I was looking at it, and I was like, man, Cincinnati could be really good. And back when we were doing Sons of Saturday with Luke Smith, I even predicted that Cincinnati would beat Notre Dame before the season because I was like, they got some dudes on the team. And I got a lot of heat from that, uh, both from Luke on the show and some of my friends afterwards. And unfortunately, I ended up being right. But uh, I wish I wasn't at the time. And if Notre Dame wants to have guys selected in the first and second round of the NFL draft on a year-to-year basis, they're going to need more guys at the high-value positions that I mentioned earlier, like quarterback, defensive end, offensive tackle, and cornerback. Notre Dame's got offensive tackle down. They've had several offensive tackles selected in the first round in the NFL draft, and they likely will have more in the future. But quarterback, Notre Dame has not been good at putting uh, quarterbacks into the NFL, especially over the past couple decades. Defensive end, I mean, I just said Isaiah Foskey was the first defensive end selected, or he's the highest defensive end selected since 1997. And cornerback, I mean, that might be the worst position Notre Dame has had, with the exception of Julian Love, who then got moved to safety, but who cares? He was a great cornerback in Notre Dame. He's an All-American. Should have won the Thorpe Award. So, not surprisingly, Notre Dame's best draft prospect for next year's class is Joe Alt, a tackle. <laughs> He's in the top 10 of pretty much every way-too-early mock draft I've seen. And I know that these way-too-early mock drafts, they're kind of ridiculous. And I know I know for a fact that a lot of the people who do them, the, the, the guys who are making those way-too-earlys, they hate them. They hate that they have to do it, but they do insane numbers. Uh, so they kind of have to do it, and they do put them out every year. And it is also is pretty telling. It's like, okay, this is who NFL teams really think highly of going into the season. Let's see how much that changes over the course of the next 12 to 14 games. The thing with Joe Walt is he's not just a top 10. I'm seeing him go high as three in some of these. Uh, he's pretty consistently in the top five, so fans enjoy Joe Walt this season because he's probably gone after this year. And you know what? For good reason. He's an incredible tackle. The second best NFL prospect that would be eligible for next year is, you guessed it, a tackle in Blake Fisher. I'm not totally sure what the evaluation is on Fisher right now because when he was coming out of high school, uh, he was like, the guy in his class. He was the top prospect in the class. 
everyone knew he was probably going to be an NFL prospect that one day. And then out of nowhere, Joe Alt, who was at the very bottom of that class, just completely catapults everyone uh, and becomes the best player on the team, arguably, going into this season. But Fisher obviously missed his true freshman season, even though he was ready to start at left tackle. He started left tackle in the season opener against Florida State. And then he moves over to right tackle last year, and I think that Alt sort of overshadowed him. But maybe this year, I think that if, if Fisher ends up having as good of a year as I think he will, he'll likely be highly coveted in next year's draft. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. And then after that, Notre Dame doesn't really have a ton of guys who will be eligible in next year's draft that really pop. Quarterback Sam Hartman isn't thought that highly of right now by NFL scouts, but a big part of that is because of the system he was in at Wake Forest. Now, if he has a huge year for Notre Dame in a pro-style offense, maybe he'll change their minds. He's not the biggest guy. He doesn't have sort of the arm strength that most NFL teams are looking for, so he lacks the measurable. So I don't really think there's a world where he goes from, like, bottom round to first round, like a guy like Joe Burrow did in uh, one amazing season at LSU. I don't think that's even remotely possible for Hartman just because of his measurables. But if he does have a really good season, I think he could definitely get drafted in like the middle to late rounds. And I know that's what he's hoping for. I know that's a big reason why he came to Notre Dame instead of opting to go in this year's NFL draft. Running back Audric Estime, he could be an option if he has a big year this year, but probably not a super high pick because as we know, running backs aren't uh, valued nearly as high by NFL teams as they used to. So I don't think he's going to be a top draft pick, but he could go uh, after this season. And honestly, most running backs probably should if their stock is pretty high, because as we've learned over the past decade plus, really, the more carries a running back gets over time, their value is just going to get worse and worse and worse just because of the wear and tear that it takes on the body. A couple dark horses, uh, wide receiver Jane Thomas, safety Xavier Watts, and defensive tackle Riley Mills. They have the measurables so that if they do end up having great years this year, they could really move up draft boards. Jaden Thomas especially, I think he probably might be the best bet. And, and Riley Mills as well. Like, we already know uh, the type of freak athlete he is. He was on Bruce Feldman's freak list last year, but then he ended up really not delivering as much on that in the season. Now, that might work out a little bit better this year for Mills, and then he could really work his way up draft boards. And then Jaden Thomas, man. If he's the clear number one, he has a huge year. He's so big, and he can do a bunch of different things on the field that I think he could really make a name for himself. And then Xavier Watts, it's crazy that we're even really putting him in here because he's only started like a few games at safety. But again, we've heard a lot of really great things. If he breaks out the season, maybe he could work his way up draft boards as well. Mitchell Evans, the tight end. Um, Notre Dame always puts out NFL tight ends, so I think that he likely will be one one day. But I don't think he will after this season, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he has a breakout year, uh, and then he gets drafted. I mean, hey, did anyone expect Tommy Tremble to get selected in the third round of the NFL draft going into that season? I don't think so, and I, I didn't think so after the season because Michael Mayer was better than him, and he was a true freshman, but then we learned how good Mayer was, and then it made sense. So Chris Tyrese, another guy, him, Evans, they both have multiple years left, so maybe they will become NFL prospects, but probably not after this year. And then, of course, there are guys like Benjamin Morrison. He's obviously, or he's... Probably, I don't want to say obviously, I don't want to change it here, but he's probably going to become a top draft pick down the road because he's a position of great need and he's a really, really good player. He has all the measurables and all that, but not next year because he won't be eligible. Really, the point of all this is to say that we know Notre Dame needs to put out more NFL talent to get where they want to go. And even though I believe they have more of those guys on the roster now than they did in years prior, we might have to wait a bit before those guys really take off because they're young. All right, coming up in segment three, Notre Dame is on an absolute heater right now on the recruiting trail. 
okay, I've already talked uh, about recruiting quite a bit on this show, but mostly past recruiting classes. So let's turn our attention to the class of 2024 for the Notre Dame football team as the Irish picked up four commits in the span of five days over the past weekend. Plus, with four-star wide receiver Mikey Gilbert as the latest. So let's start with him. Uh, Gilbert committed on Tuesday. He's 6'3", 203, and he's the number 260 player in the class nationally, according to the 24-7 Sports Composite. And for all these rankings that I'm about to mention, that is the basis that I'm going off of and probably what I'm going to go off of pretty much every recruitment on this show. So he's the number 38 wide receiver in the class, and he's teammates with Bryce Young and Carolina. Bryce Young, the four-star defensive lineman, um, the son of former Notre Dame legend and NFL Hall of Famer Bryant Young. He committed last Saturday, as expected. Um, I know that people are going to see the name. They're going to think, oh, they're just doing it because of his dad. Well, Bryce Young, we're talking measurables earlier. Bryce Young's already got him, at least the size or the height and the length. He's six foot six, 245 pounds, so he certainly has to fill out a little bit, and he will. He's only uh, He just finished up his junior year in high school, so he's got plenty of time. He's now the number 330 player in the class nationally, the number 34 D lineman, but he's one of those guys that has really been inching his way up uh, in the recruiting rankings, and if he has a really big re- senior season, uh, he could really skyrocket up those rankings, and I think that Notre Dame was really early on him, partially because of his dad. Like, they knew... They had the early report on him because of his dad, but now other schools, I think Michigan, USC, big-time programs are offering him late in the game. But now he is committed to the Irish, as we all expected. And then speaking of famous kids' sons, three-star safety, I think he's a safety, Um, Kennedy Erlacher committed to Notre Dame on Sunday. He's six foot, 180 pounds, not the biggest guy, and he's the number 680 player nationally. But he's the son of Brian Erlacher, and I know he's listed as a safety, but... I'm not really sure that's the case. If you watch some of his film, I know that some of other people who cover the team have been on this already, but he doesn't really look like a college safety, and that's fine. I mean, Drew Tranquil was once a safety coming out of high school too, and then at Notre Dame, he was a linebacker for pretty much his entire time there. So I think that's what's going to happen here with Kennedy Erlacher. I wouldn't say that Notre Dame – I've talked many times in this podcast about how safety is a massive position of need for Notre Dame, and I don't think that Kennedy committing Notre Dame is really going to change their approach here. I think they're probably going to get at least two other safeties – um, and they need to because that position is really light right now, and it doesn't look like Notre Dame is going to be able to get a safety in this transfer portal window. And then you've got four-star wide receiver Isaiah Canyon, who committed last Thursday. Canyon is a big dude. He's six foot three, uh, 190 pounds. He's the number 193 player nationally and the number 29 uh, wide receiver in the class. So a couple quick takeaways here. Wide receiver coach Chancey Stuckey continues to load up on wide receiver talent. You can tell he has a type. Uh, physically, these guys are around the same height. They're like 6'3", and they're also very versatile, so they can move around all over the field and play different spots. So you're not going to get like your traditional undersized slot receiver who only plays in the slot as much as that disappoints me because I was once an undersized slot receiver. I think that um, that position or that type of player, rather, doesn't really fit on what uh, Chansey Sucky wants to do, and I get it. It's definitely smart to have guys who can move around all over the field because then you can keep defenses on their toes. And then, you know, if injuries happen, which they always do, then you can move guys around and make sure that you always have the best wide receivers on the field at all times. And you're not just playing the best guy who knows the slot the most. You know, you want to be able to move these guys around, especially in this modern era of college football. And Chancey Sucky is certainly doing that. He's loading up on wide receiver talent and uh, in a way that we just haven't seen in recent years. Like, you look at what he has with last year's class, or the class that's already uh, in tow here at Notre Dame, Jane Greathouse, Braylon James, uh, Rico Flores, those guys, they're all, you know, really highly recruited, and they weren't coming to Notre Dame 
uh, before Chancey Stuckey got there. That's a fact. And now you've got five-star wide receiver Cam Williams. He's the best prospect in the entire class right now for Notre Dame. He's the five-star. So you got Canyon, you got Williams, and you've got Micah Gilbert. Those are a really strong three, and they might add another. I also failed to mention K.K. Smith in last year's class. He could end up being a really good player too. Really, Chancey Stuckey is one of the best if not the best assistant coach on the recruiting trail right now for Notre Dame. And that's great because wide receiver was really down for a couple of years, but now it looks like it's on the up. Um, another thing, famous football dads seem to love Notre Dame. I don't think that's coincidence. Like I mentioned earlier, Bryce Young probably got that early recognition because of his dad, but he's got the upside and tools to do it on his own now. I'm going to be pretty honest with you guys. I'm not sure that's the case for Kennedy Urlacher. I, I mentioned already his ranking, and if he didn't have that last name, I don't think fans would be nearly as thrilled about the, the commitment as they are. Now, that's just my hunch about the fans' reaction. That's not to say that Kennedy Urlacher can't become a good player at Notre Dame because I think he is just a good football player. Like, he's extremely physical. I wonder where he got that from. You know, but I think he's a good player who could be productive at the college level. But seeing the reaction, I'm like, okay, are we really reacting because... He's that good of a player. We just react him because of his last name. And I guess we'll see. Like, I'm rooting for Kennedy Erlager. I root for these guys to really make a name for themselves at the college level and sort of get out of the whatever shadow they're in. And I think that Kennedy could do that. But it's just something I was considering here. And I think there might be something to it with these famous dads and how they recognize what Notre Dame, the brand is, and what it could do for you later on in life. Like, obviously, Bryant Young went to Notre Dame, so he gets it. But a guy like Brian Urlacher, who didn't go to Notre Dame, but played in Chicago, lives in Chicago, so he gets that aspect of it. And uh, I think that that Notre Dame, they're always going to boat a little bit better with the parents, but especially a parent who's been in the football uh, community for a long time, they really get what Notre Dame can provide for their kids. So, Maybe uh, Notre Dame just, that's their thing now. They just get kids of famous football dads and maybe they can build a championship team around that. I don't know. And then in basketball, big commitment for Micah Shrewsbury and Notre Dame's men's hoops program. Kerry Booth made his commitment to Notre Dame official on Tuesday. He's a six foot ten power forward. He's the number 69 player nationally in the class of 2023. So he's actually going to be a freshman for Notre Dame this season. I don't know what to expect from him this year because he's definitely a developmental player. You read all the scouting reports, they say that He's going to need some time. He's very raw, like very raw athlete. He's got to figure out how to play within his body and his in his frame. But he might be forced to play early because the Notre Dame roster uh, for men's basketball is pretty dire right now. But I think he has a super high ceiling. So if they are able to keep him around, which, again, is always a struggle in modern college basketball, his guys leave in the portal every single year. But He's the type of athlete that Mike Bray just simply was not getting to come to Notre Dame during his time there. So that's really encouraging. And based on what I've been uh, hearing, I think it, this might just be the first domino to fall. We've talked a lot about on this podcast about how Notre Dame was favored to land literally every single one of Micah Shrewsbury's recruits at Penn State in this most recent class, plus maybe a transfer or two. That was a couple weeks back. We know how Notre Dame is with these things. It takes some time, especially with all the academic restrictions and all that, getting all the credits, applications, all that scored away. It sounds like they have made significant progress in that regard for these guys that we have mentioned before. And uh, I think that Notre Dame is going to get a couple more official commits locked in here shortly. Whether or not that happens, we'll have you covered here on the podcast with all the latest recruiting news for Notre Dame football and basketball. And with that, we'll call it a wrap for this episode of Locked On Irish. Thanks again for making this your first listen of the day. Remember to subscribe to the show and follow the program on all of our social media channels. And I will see you guys tomorrow.